This podcast is the voice of the silenced majority, the 98 million Americans of voting age whose common sense voices are not heard because we're living in a media system that orchestrates a war between the left and the right. As we learned from the recent elections, independent and moderate and common sense voters, in fact, the analysts called them normies, normal people, they were heard this time. And they did indeed push against the extremes. Our moment is coming, but we have work to do, and that's what this podcast is about. I'm Bill Shireman, disrupting the dividers. It's tempting when we're trying to bridge the divide to consider the enemy. They are the extremists. They are the polarizers. And indeed, they have been cast as the useful idiots whose bigotry toward one another is so intense that they're tearing the country apart. But that's not the whole story. The far left and the far right have a legitimate role to play. They are the watchdogs, ever alert, perhaps over alert, to the compromise of core principles that protect our freedoms, justice, prosperity, and sustainability. The fatal flaw often is that they are so passionate about these objectives that they're willing to throw away freedom, justice, prosperity, and sustainability in order to enforce them with authoritarian means. But it doesn't mean that their observations are always wrong. In fact, there's almost always some element of truth to the accusations that they make. And the sooner we listen to what's true, the less radical they will become. When extremists feel ignored, that's when they double down. They raise their voices. For decades under the old media regime, we marginalized and ignored the extremists. We elevated the middle, and their views were the ones that stuck. It made for a more stable, united republic. But it also allowed this merger of big business, big labor, and big government to operate without much challenge. What's happened is that this business model, which protected the status quo by unifying the middle on its behalf, has been replaced by a new business model that protects the status quo by amplifying the voices of the far left and far right. Profits are maximized in politics and media when the left and right are caricatured so that their extreme ideas are seen to be extreme by the half of America that's furthest from them. But when those of us in the broad center are able to actually listen to what the extremists say, we do have the capacity to sort out what's true and what's fantasy. Let me give you two examples. On the far left, the 1619 Project was an effort by a few intellectuals to validate and popularize critical race theory, including the provocative idea that this country was not founded to champion the principles of freedom and justice, but just the opposite, that we were founded to protect the industry of slavery, and that the whole of American history needs to be recast as one of oppression and white supremacy. As an intellectual exercise, this is a very 
interesting point of view to explore. And it has elements of truth to it. History is very messy. We simplify our stories by taking the truth as a whole, which can't be known, and shaving off the things that don't quite fit our simple narrative. I grew up with a narrative that was a little bit complicated. I got the pure narrative that we were founded to bring liberty and justice to the world, that we had a manifest destiny, or thought we did, to carry out our mission, and that along the way we were terribly oppressive to several groups. In my childhood, it was primarily the Native Americans and African Americans. At that time, however, there wasn't a recognition of the crimes against Hispanics. Now that story is told as well. Which stories are true? Well, they all are. But in my view, there can be no doubt in reading the words and viewing the actions of those we call our founding fathers that they were individually flawed people, imperfect in their lives, but on a mission, both personal and collective, to create a home for liberty and justice for all. But quite explicitly, we see oppressions that were present reflected in those documents. The problem is not so much that we are considering these other histories, but that we are lionizing them. We have shifted from lionizing the sanitized story to now lionizing the oppression story. Paradoxically, this results in the opposite of what the extremists on both sides intend. The extremists who have taken the 1619 Project and imposed it as doctrine on schools across the country intends to challenge the status quo, which they see to be a culture dominated by white European men. The actual result, however, has been to trigger an opposing extremist view on the right that champions the power of white European men. It does this because it is so profitable in the political industry and the media industry to highlight these extreme views. We take the complexity of reality, we now shave off the parts that don't support the oppression theory, and we present that naked and vulnerable with all its untruths. And it looks absolutely absurd to most of us in the middle and certainly to those on the far right. That builds the far right narrative. And it actually grows the extremisms that support white supremacy. Hollowing out the middle, keeping the left and right at war, and keeping the status quo in power. The system of influence peddling thrives. So let me give you another example from the right. The world has just suffered through our once-per-century-or-so pattern of global pandemics. COVID emerged from its origins in China and spread across the world, and governments responded. Just as World War II mobilized business, labor, and government together to counterattack, our somewhat more complex sets of dominant industries, government, corporate, and a host of civic and nonprofit institutions, melted together 
in an alliance to fight and profit from the COVID epidemic. Now, the right has a theory about how this happened. Their theory is that Big Pharma, with the enormous financial and political resources at their disposal, essentially placed Anthony Fauci in charge of the nation's response and imposed a regime of controls in the country that maximized the flow of money through their institutions to ensure that every one of us is vaccinated once, twice, three times, four times, five times, regardless of the relative risk to us or our population group. They believe that less expensive off-the-shelf remedies were cast aside and condemned in favor of wholly new vaccines that were rapidly developed in violation of standard protocols to get them on the market as fast as possible with an endless flow of money to support the research and development necessary for this war. They don't trust those vaccines. They fear that those vaccines may be a danger to their children and their children's children. And they look to history and they find some evidence that that might be true. Now, those of us in the fast middle can look at this situation and say, well, you know, (laughs) this is complex and we need to make social decisions and perhaps it's best to trust the science and take the vaccine because if we don't, we know that we're going to be taken down by COVID. Now, of course, there are folks on the right and the left that say, well, you know, taken down by COVID is maybe not that bad a thing. Yes, a few million people will die, but will die of natural causes, whereas, you know, we fear that this vaccine will ultimately take more of us out because we don't know what we're dealing with. Now, that's a valid point. I'm not willing to take that risk myself. I think most people aren't. We prefer to take the risk of these new vaccines because we've had experience with the medical system and it's got deep, deep, deep problems, I'll tell you. But the medicines typically work pretty well, even if they addict us to very expensive patterns of care that do support the existing structure and minimize the viability of low-cost alternatives. So we have a truth, an element of truth, to the conspiracies of the right, that this is a plot by big pharma to maximize their profits, and that there's no regard for human life in that. Now, that's where they get extreme. I don't think that that is a valid condemnation. Most people are trying to do the best they can within a system that they recognize constraints, and they live within those constraints. But when we're able to actually engage in a conversation where the concerns of the far right, which are reflected on the far left, of corporate control are heard and put into context by the broad middle, we can actually make intelligent decisions. The American majority is capable of that. But this valid role for the extreme right is corrupted when their ideas are presented in their purest and most absurd forms in order to unify the left against them. Many on the left, after all, share this intense distrust of corporations. One of the most dangerous elements of the system that we have found ourselves a part of now is that we are growing extremists on the far left and far right who share intense animosity toward 
all corporations and all big government. And given the chance, they might just take them out if they ever find a way to work together. This is a recipe for mass social destruction. It creates an opening for an authoritarian who panders to the extremes on the left and the right and brings them together. Imagine an authoritarian who comes in and says, climate change is such a catastrophe that we have to tear apart our systems of capitalism and take evasive action to save the planet. And we are so threatened by the invasion of illegal immigrants that we have to build a giant wall and keep people out. And we are so threatened by the emergence of China that we have to build a giant military with the capacity to take them out in a moment. By pressing on the buttons that trigger extremists at both ends of the spectrum, we could end up with an extremist in charge who indeed does take away our freedoms, our justice, our sustainability, and our prosperity all at once. This is the outcome that, paradoxically, the political industry and the status quo that it maintains for its own profits least once, except that if it were to happen, it would be right there to take the profits of this ultra-centralized form of power. This all sounds very confusing. You've got left-wing extremists who want to take down capitalism, who are propping it up. You've got right-wing extremists who want to take down socialism, who are propping it up. You've got the institutions of capitalism and socialism that merge together in a corporate state, if you will, supported by a political industry that divides the public into these two extremes, locking in their power, extracting tax dollars from people, managing their distribution across these vested interests, and then leading to the collapse of the whole structure by so pandering to extremist thought that ultimately it collapses. There is a better way. (laughs) And that better way is to break apart these artificial barriers that have been established that keep us in our cells, that amplify extreme left and extreme right ideas, that silence the broad middle and foster a real American conversation. There are structural changes we need to make to do that. First and foremost is breaking the monopoly control or the duopoly control of the two-party system by ending gerrymandering and opening primaries so that we don't exaggerate the electoral power of the extremes. That gives voice and power back to the broad center. And then by insisting that the companies who advertise on our media change the algorithms that generate profit again by amplifying the extremes against the middle. It does not take a majority of Americans to realize these changes. All it takes is about 5% of us. When enough folks in the middle join together with as much passion as the far left and the far right have to bring us back together, we have the electoral power and we have the market power to create a real democracy in this republic. Our story is not as simple as the far left's story of oppression or the far right's story of freedoms lost. But we're smart people. We can take that complexity because in that complexity is our hope. In that complexity, 
are all of the opportunities that we have to realize the dream that America's founding fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers did indeed share, despite all of our hypocrisies along the way. We are all in this together, and that is not BS. But I am, and I'll see you next time.